Welcome to the Loving Lake Geneva podcast. I'm your host, Karen Stray Rappaport. Each episode, I take an outside-the-wake look at the area's most interesting people, places, and happenings. It's another beautiful, sunny day here in Lake Geneva, and the lake looks stunning, so let's jump right in. So I was at a Geneva Lake Women's Association meeting a couple months ago, and I started talking to this woman who, in my head, as I'm talking to her, I'm thinking, boy, she's got a lot of energy. She's a spitfire. She's hilarious. She's so fun to talk to. And then just casually, it comes up in conversation that she's she's a history maker. She is actually the first woman to physically trade financial futures in the pits at the Chicago Board of Trade. So I said, okay, that's that's pretty mind-blowing, and I have to talk to you, and it has to be on my podcast. So we are so happy to have Joyce Sealander here. Welcome, Joyce. Thank you. Glad to be here. And Joyce also wrote a book. And so, of course, I had to run out and buy it. And it's amazing. I mean, everybody has to read this book because it, it's a it's a quick read because, again, it's very it, like your sense of humor is awesome, Joyce. But it's also very educational about, you know, different times and time periods and decades um, with trading and to see the evolution of, of it and kind of a behind the scenes look. So the book is entitled Joyce, Queen of the Mountain. And Joyce, okay, the first few pages, you explain how you got that name, Queen of the Mountain. Can you tell that story? Uh, the um, Well, I just, I got it because the 30-year bond pit that I was trading is is the largest pit in the world. It was like a mountain. You had, you know, five, six, seven steps to the top. There were at least 500 traders in the pit and about 1,500 clerks. It was bigger than a football field. And it was like a mountain. So, and since I was the only woman at the beginning, several came in almost at the same time as me. Um, I, I was the queen. And I was the one in the pit in the high spot. And I love that. Like even even you talk about even when you were a little girl, you kind of stood up to the boy bully in the group. <laughs> and so, it, you know, from very early on, I think, you know, you could probably tell uh, where you were headed, that you would hold your own in, in a world full of men. So how did you start in that field and, and how did you kind of get to where you are so quickly? Well, I was working at a bank and I was watching their accounts, their loans that were secured by marketable collateral, which was mainly stocks, bonds. And I get a call from a commodity broker and uh, he said he was looking for someone to look over and do margins like I was doing on commodities and could I do it? And I said, sure, just take the full value of the contract, the movement of the day. Yeah, I could do it just like I do on stocks and bonds. And eventually here I start trading bonds. And I went for in for an interview and they hired me immediately. Uh, the second day I was there, I found out something illegal was going on. And I told them, the president of the company, and he said, I want you to go down on the floor and tell me what's happening there. And I went down on the floor and saw there was also a little things going on there. And the next thing I knew after two days, I'm doing margins upstairs and running down and running the floor operation for a company at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. 
And I mean, what what specifically was your role? Like if you could say a job description, <laughs> what would a typical day be like for you? I ran the operation on the floor. That means anybody trying to put an order would call me. I would write the order, put the order to a runner. They'd run it in the pit. And that was basically what it was. I was running their floor operation, it's called. And that's all the movement of the trade. And you were dealing with what kind, I mean. All commodity traders uh, from most different cities because he had a couple offices. So everybody in Chicago would go through me and then they had an office uh, downstate. They would go through me. And one of my, um, my old, old customers, in fact, I still see him and now he lives up in Aspen, Colorado trading. So they're all over the place. How long were you the only woman in the pit? Well, there's a couple ways to say this. First of all, when I started, smoking was allowed inside the pit, but women weren't, which of course, in my opinion, is inexcusable. And I was told by my boss, <clears throat> if this market gets wild, starts going limit, get my father out of there. His father was 82 and one of the originators of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. So I had to enter and physically grab his hand to take him out. And every time I did that, I got fined. And at the time there was one woman, she had a seat on the exchange and she wasn't allowed to enter the pit. So they called me in and uh, fined me and lectured me. And I looked at the president of the exchange and I said, you are prohibiting me from doing the best job I can for my customer. And he cringed on that. And I guess the government was at them also to allow women. And they had a meeting the next day and the uh, board of directors decided to allow women down on the floor. So then they came down. At the time, there was one other girl that handled the telephones for a broker. So she only worked with him and would hand him orders. And like I said, one woman that couldn't go in the pit. And that was back in 1968. And so I did that, worked uh, with MS Commodities, Maurice Schneider, for several years. And then I got an opportunity to move up into a different area. And I went to work for, uh, I think, four years with Continental Grain, one of the largest grain companies in the world. And then I went to the largest grain company, Cargill, and worked four years with them. And they became also the biggest cattle trader. So my background knowledge became phenomenal in grains and cattle, and I already had knowledge in stocks. So the next thing I did was say, I'm going down on the floor to trade. So I bought a seat in 1977, and that's when I went into the pit. At the time, they were starting to have women down there. There was already one woman in the silver pit trading, and uh, she was spectacular. And it started from there, but then we went in to the bond pit, largest pit in the world. And we started first with, with trading um, other bond markets and then the opening of the bond pit. Some women did come in after a couple months. And at one point there was 10 of us, 500 men, 10 women. And that was our largest count in there. And I love how you, you talked about in the book, um, that you kind of developed this bond with, you know, the other, um, the other women, and you called yourself the bondettes. And I love your quote. You say we were strong, smart, 
And while we liked our martinis shaken, we were always rock solid professionals. I love that. Well, funny. Yeah. Um, all the girls were strong. I remember giving a girl a lecture one time. The guy next to her kept knocking her over. And I said, if I was your size, because she was like uh, 5'10 and a big girl, I said, I would take that hip, shoot it to the left, and then shoot it to him at the right. And I said, do it, knock him off the step. Well, she knocked him out of the pit. <laughs> and that was funny. And uh, But I was so lucky because I was surrounded by men that watched me work like them. I worked like a man. I didn't go in there like a woman going, oh, me, me, me. You know, I went in like a man and I fought for trades and I got knocked around. I got beat up and the guys admired my strength. And so many of them helped me and cared about me that it's, uh, this has been the worst year of my life because I've had like 20 of my friends from the exchanges die. It's been with this pandemic, just very crazy. Yeah. But I admired that they cared so much and did help me like physically a bit. Yeah. I mean, it's, I know people who like broke bones in their back and everything in the pit that, that it's so physically demanding. And fights break out. And I was in one or two myself. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I had a big Irishman, JJ O'Doherty, one of my best friends in the world. I loved him so much. He was just a doll. And if someone got too rough with me, he would stand up real straight. And he was 6'3", like a muscular guy, and say, back off, you know? And so I had my protectors in there too, another Irish guy. But it was so great that the guys respected that I stood there like them and got beat up every day. Yeah. And I mean, obviously there were amazingly good things that happened in the pits, but then there was also, you know, in reading your book, fighting, uh, oh, a lot of okay. drugs, uh, you know, with some of the traders, cause it's such a fast paced, stressful thing. Um, I mean, what were some of kind of the more scandalous or downside of, of working there? Well, the drugs, when um, Coke became very big and it was hot and everybody was doing a Coke, uh, a lot of people in the pits were, were doing Coke and they'd get a little too fired up. Cocaine can really like aggravate you and, and make you feisty. And, uh, and me, I don't do drugs at all. Uh, even medicine, I hardly do any medicine. I'm allergic to 18 medicines. But so I'd sit there and watch them. But the hard part was that cocaine also gave you massive depression. And three of my good friends in the pit killed themselves on cocaine. That was the hardest, I think, part to take about that. The fighting that broke out in the pit, the other traders would stop. And you could always tell when it was going to start. But we did have a lot of fights. And, um, but, you know, times, times do it. And you had... A lot of unusual things go on that you'd have to watch and put a stop to. And what about like any kind of illegal trading or, you know, yeah. you mentioned the FBI you thought was, was monitoring situations. And Oh, you know, that was uh, the FBI came in <clears throat> to monitor something. They'd heard rumors as to some people. They did come down on the floor, but they were, they were sort of way off. They were, they didn't really see what was going on. I mean, I'd see something and I'd stare at someone and give them a bad look and they'd, their hands up like, I'm sorry, or something. The FBI never saw it. 
So they came in and they arrested a bunch of people and they arrested someone because he made a trade after the close, they said. But I watched it. He didn't make a play, uh, a trade. He confirmed a trade. And you did that with your hand, you know, say, put up five fingers. I bought five from you and you tell him the price. And I saw him do that. It looks like you're buying it at the time, but he was confirming a trade. So they were somewhat out of line on, on what they were saying. And I think a couple of people got in trouble and probably shouldn't have. Well, and I mean, you watched things to change over the years and with electronic trading. I mean, how did, how did you see it evolve? Like what were some of the biggest changes you saw while you were there? Well, I think uh, more people, you know, a lot of people traded on the phone. A lot of people started doing more electronic where they'd shoot the trade into the office and the office would call it in. But what really stopped the floor, because we were electronic trading down there, uh, was the fact of this pandemic. You had everybody getting sick, everybody firing, everybody closing offices. One of my girlfriends, um, her boss said to her, we're going to close down. And if we may close down for a year, you'll be working from home. So she wound up, he told her, go down to Florida because her husband had a job down there, Karen Waldman, and she's with a huge, huge company, CRT. And uh, she went down there. She's still down there. It's over two years now. She came into Chicago last week and I saw her. But what's sort of happening is we may see these changes starting up again. They've made a move to move some people back onto the floor of the exchange last week. Uh, nothing is... 100% certain, but we may be starting again down there, but maybe not. Everybody may just keep trading from home. I mean, you, you've met some kind of high profile people, both in the trading world and businesses and politicians and even celebrities. Like who, who are some that maybe stand out to you that you remember? I did spend time with President Nixon and his wife. She was very, very nice. I was dating their lead Secret Service agent. So I met a lot of politicians through that, but also down on the floor I did. And I guess to be like one of the more important per people that I met was President Gorbachev and his wife. They came down on the floor of the Board of Trade and went into the grain pit. And of course I got introduced to him. I was one of the few women there and president right away introduced me. But I've met that, I've met um, a lot of the Kennedys and when, um, you know, one was running for president, I'd met him and, you know, I met a lot of Secret Service agents, a lot of FBI agents. So in that thing, and then we did have, we had a couple people from the Cubs down on the floor and the Bears, a guy from the Bears traded in the wheat and uh, Glenn Beckert, I think, uh, traded in the soybean pit. And uh, actually my brother-in-law who played for the, Cook, uh, the Cubs, he was rookie of the year in 1968. And uh, then he left the Cubs and became a doctor of veterinarian medicine. And on the side, he came down and he traded with my other brother-in-law in the Euro dollar pit over at the Merck. So you were constantly meeting people. I met all the governors of Illinois and the mayors. They'd all come down on the floor and I'd get introduced right away. And so over the years, I've met a lot of people, a lot of show business people also. That is definitely... True. Which is interesting because I, you know, I wouldn't necessarily connect. <laughs> yeah, 
you know, those two. But yeah, you said you met Heath Ledger, right? I met, I met him, and that would have been, I would think, down on the floor in the exchange. But I met so many uh, TV stars, things like that. And um, I had one page in the book of all the people that I met um, that had died. And I put that in, and they they may not be names that everybody knew. Well, like Bush McGuire's, that was the biggest bar in Chicago. Everybody went, and Billy O'Connor. And a lot of the, the people on the floor were multimillionaires. They'd made a fortune. They were very, very well-known. And like the O'Connors, Eddie and Billy O'Connor uh, were big, big traders and also directors of the exchange. And they started the CBOE, Chicago Board Options Exchange, because they had a lot of people starting to trade options. So you're meeting every day, you seem to meet, you'd seem to meet someone. Yeah, I love that page in your book that it says to all the men I loved before who traveled in and out my door, and then you listed a bunch. <laughs> yeah, I had someone come up and, and then in front of me say, oh yeah, well, she had slept with my father. And I said, that is not what that word meant. <laughs> <laughs> They're interpreting loved very differently than you were. Yeah, absolutely. Well, no, because no, a lot of these people, uh, and the one name that is in that list is John J. O'Doherty. I mean, they protected me when fights broke out. He'd push me behind him sometimes. I mean, they all worried about me, but I would know when a fight was going to break out. I remember having a, a guest, and well, a guy that worked for the exchange. And I told him, okay, you stand over there. I'm standing over here. And I was standing next to the biggest trader and we were using new um, computers to put the trades in, to try the use of computers in the pit. And um, all of a sudden I, and I said to him, if I tell you get out of the pit instantly, get out. All of a sudden I turn around, get out of the pit. And he jumps out and I stood there and a fight breaks out <laughs> with the guy that he was standing next to. I knew it was gonna happen. He said to me, well, why didn't you come out? I said, well, because I was standing next to the biggest trader in the pit and nobody is going to touch him. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> he laughed. Yeah. Uh, speaking of predicting crazy. things, okay, yeah. talk about Black Monday because you kind of called it right on the head, didn't you? I, you know, there's been so many, you know, days like that, but yes, and I, that was off my charts. Every, the charts told me that the market was just going to collapse. I've been watching now with all this stuff we're going through and this goofy Bitcoin, which I'm not real happy about. But, uh, when I first found out about it, it was $50 to hundred to buy a Bitcoin. But I also knew it was being used for illegal transportation of money across the world for drugs. And I thought, I'm not getting into anything that has to do with drugs. Now it's still, it represents nothing. You can't hold it in your hand. It's not gold, it's not silver. It's not really a coin. It's just a movement of money. And very, very, very strange. And um, the things that you learn, I mean, I would see things and that was the reason why people like to stand by me. Um, and they'd say, what did you see? And I'd tell them, but I could read looks and, um, I, I had unbelievable hearing and unbelievable eyesight. And all that when you were in the pit was a real asset. I could tell when someone picked up a phone, I knew who they were talking to very often. So that was helpful. Yeah. So when they'd see me want to get my hands in that buy position 
everyone around me would start putting their hands in. They knew I saw something. So I gave them a lot of help and they gave me a lot back. Uh, talk about, um, I know it's tough to talk about, but talk about 9-11 because you were getting ready to, to go to work that day and this involved many people you knew. Oh yeah, 9-11. <clears throat> I think I, I was putting my makeup on. I was just about ready to leave when they hit the exchange in, uh, I mean, they, they hit the building and I was like shocked. So I ran into work and there was a little trading going on, but they did. We knew right away they were not going to open the exchange. And what scared me the most, and I went around, in fact, I, I mentioned it in the book. I don't talk a lot about it because I had to be careful at the time. But I said to people, why did they choose the World Trade Center? And nobody knew the answer. Well, I knew the answer. I went home and I took everything I possibly could off the website to prove that I was right. But what it was, as I called it sometimes, basically Fort Knox was sitting underneath that building. And they tried to cave it in once before. They went in the garage, didn't work. This time, four floors of vaults. I was moving gold and silver out of that place like every other day. So I knew how much was there. But at the time they were making changes to it, Fort Knox and had moved a lot of gold, but all the gold from France, the gold from England were all sitting in vaults under that place and the government never talked about it. It really irritated me. So I put it in my book carefully. <laughs> uh, I put that and a murder in there. And I had to be very, very careful, but I am documented so much on everything I, I, like I just said on the gold and why they chose that building. Everybody thinks because of all the businesses and all the people. Uh -uh. And then they said the FBI and the Secret Service were guarding the dead bodies. Well, think about that. Secret Service and the FBI work with real bodies, the president, people, not dead bodies. The police take care of that. The police in your fire department watch over that what they were watching was the thing no one knew was there all the gold four floors of vaults so I did put that in there and a little more information and uh, I have documents uh, offline on the internet that backed up everything I put in the book so if you read anything and it doesn't sound right I am documented yeah, you and, and after that I mean how did just security at the building change? Um, the funny part was, yeah, they put a little more security on, but I really didn't see a major, major change. They did have um, detectives some wearing guns and, and that for around for a while. But I think the government knew exactly what I knew, that it wasn't the people or the traders they were after, because at, at the time, the New York um, uh, gold and silver market also was in the World Trade Center. They don't mention that either. But so they had a market there. But the more thing was to protect all the people because there we had 25,000 people on the floor of the Board of Trade. Hmm. So you needed protection. Yeah, for sure. And you, I, I'm sure you knew a lot of people that were lost that day, too. Oh, in New York, only a few. A girl, a girl was coming in. I felt very bad about that. And I was about to leave and she had just rented a seat from my business associate at the time who was John Gelderman. 
he started working part-time and I'd watch his positions during the day and mine. And um, he had just uh, leased his seat out to a girl from New York. She went back to New York uh, for a final meeting there and pick up papers and the building blew up and she was killed. And uh, the two of us were just sitting there like staring into space going, oh my God, I was hoping she'd come in and be another you know, important woman like me and be known on the floor. So we were upset about that. There were a few guys, a few traders that I didn't know all that well, but there were people we knew the names, we knew who they were. So it was a hard day for everybody. They all walked out of the building and sat there staring into space outside the building. I said, you guys get out of here, get away from the building. What if they blow this building next? And everybody's going, God, I never thought about it. And then everybody started leaving. But there were hundreds of people outside the mark when, uh, you know, and then they all left. Go to safety. Right. And you you go through that timeline in your book, uh, which is really interesting. Can you can you just jumping around a little bit here? Um, can you tell the story about the the heiress, that unsolved mystery of Eleanor? And because that was kind of that was a big deal. <laughs> Well, you mean the young girl? That yes, yes. <clears throat> well, I, I had to be very careful how I wrote that. Because I think I know who killed her. No doubt in my mind. I was sure about that. And I know why. And what it was, was that her father was the biggest silver trader on the floor, the Chicago Board of Trade. And he was also the president, vice president of the Chicago Board of Trade. And um, when they had found her dead. How old was she? Do you know about? She was only 20. Oh, gosh. That's her daughter. His daughter. Beautiful. Beautiful. And she was out running. And um, her boyfriend said, I'm heading back. And she said, I'm going to do one more run around. And uh, she never came back. And they grabbed her the minute he left. And um, cause of death unknown. I put that in the book. I'd read that. I have the newspaper article from the doctor. And um, I feel that um, they shot her up and killed her and then they put her body out for three weeks and let it disintegrate. And um, it's still, I mean, I'm personally will say who I think did it, but it's something I have to be very careful with. And nobody was ever prosecuted or arrested for it. So it remains unsolved it's perfect yeah. this person was very very powerful and uh could have done the same thing to a lot of other people but it was just the way they found her how she was laying with her shoes off and her socks off and in in the position the own position like looking up at god it just i knew right away but it was very very strange because she wasn't even a traitor and her father was big and it was heartbreaking. Yeah, she was an innocent, innocent victim here. I think you're right. Because her father was a big, big, you know, gold and silver trader. And he went in to sell it. And uh, he started the down move. He went in, sell gold. And I think it was, I can't remember, it was gold and silver. One was down limit for 17 days. That means it broke down and didn't trade. And the other was down limit for 33 days. So it was all from him walking in the pit. I got all my customers out early that day and I was happy. Yeah. 
So were my customers. <laughs> yeah, I bet. So if you could, I mean, I, I, I'm, this is probably so hard, but do you have like, if you could say the highlight of your career, what would you say? Probably hard to, to say um, one it, thing. But. That's a hard question. The highlight of my, of my life was, I really think just being surrounded by so many, so many men that loved and cared about me, watched over me. I think that that was perfect. Now that I'm getting older, no men watch over me, take care of me, and I'm lonely. So back in those days, I was just so full of life. And I'd go drinking almost every night uh, with the guys after work. Now I never even drink. Yeah. Maybe I should start drinking, huh? Yeah, right. right. <laughs> you just had an epiphany. <laughs> yeah, I love all the, it's the Chicago, like you said, Butch McGuire's, you know, the different references and some Lake Geneva references as well. And so you're, you have a house, a place in Chicago and one in Lake Geneva. So you kind of are back and forth now. So I'm hoping, hoping to get to see you again soon. Yeah, I want to come back for that. I'd like to go back for the whole summer if I can. You know, it's coming back, getting your mail, paying your bills, doing things. But at my club, they've got a lot of things going on. I should be golfing. They have three golf courses and I don't golf. I putt pretty well, but. Are you involved cool. still in, in uh, trading? <clears throat> it never leaves your head. Uh, yeah. My head is always trading. I watch the market. I check them every day. I chart in my head. I don't need to use paper anymore. And I watch the highs and lows and um, it like never ends. It's that song, I always thought of it. Yeah. Never ends, never stop, never stop. You'd be a good consultant. So for people who want to train. <laughs> well, I thought about it. I've thought about going back to work. I know one company, I had 16 ads in the paper the weekend before last, but if I went back, I thought to myself, I don't want to work for that company. I don't want to work for the guy that runs it. Well, you you because, told me a story too about how you how you went in and taught a room full of people about trading and yeah. the signals uh -huh. and everything. And that's that I did one, yeah, five hundred cattle traders one time. <laughs> I, it was shocking. I got up there and they were like, say, looking at each other, like, why is she coming up to teach us to trade? And so I start going lightly through the hand signals, and all of a sudden I start trading. And of course, I'd been in the pit for you know, 20, 30 years, and they couldn't even keep up with me. And then they were going, Oh my God, she's amazing. <laughs> and the president of the exchange was standing next to me because I was so much faster than him. He's like, No, you do it. Because <laughs> he was getting up there in age, and I was still young. <laughs> so that was funny, but I did do a lot of classes. And uh, I had one company that had had me every year. In fact, they, they passed out a lot. Every, if everyone that went to the class got one of my books. So I had a lot of people that did read it. And I'd get calls saying, my God, I can't believe the things that took you know place on the floor. And, you know, so. Yeah, it is. It's so interesting. And I love there's a glossary in the back to help those of us who are not in this field um, kind of, you know, learn what the different terms are that she uses in the book. And I just, I found it so interesting. I feel like, you know, just in talking to you too, you could probably write 10 more books and they would all be just as interesting because you are having such a, an incredible full life. And, you know, you're the type of person that 
probably did more in one day than most people do in a month. So, um, you know, you're, you're just, you're so fascinating and I'm, I'm so happy I met you and I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast and sharing. And I hope that everybody goes and buys your book called Joyce Queen of the Mountain. We will put it up on the website so people know how to find it. Yeah, you could uh, order it online too, you know. Yes, for sure. So, so it's like that. And um, and thank you. Thank you uh, so much for, for coming on today, Joyce. Oh, thank you for having me, Karen. Oh my gosh, really my, my pleasure. And as always, thanks to the listeners for letting me share my love of Lake Geneva and the wonderful people like Joyce who helped make it so special. I'm Karen Stray Rappaport. Join me next time as another guest takes their place in the sun. Bye for now. Stop.